You're listening to the Catholic Fragments Podcast, where we explore the treasures of Catholicism, the fullness of truth revealed in Jesus Christ and His Church. I'm your host, Dr. Donald Wallenfang, and I invite you to join me in gathering up the fragments of the truth that sets us free. Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A reading from the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 10. Since the law has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of them, it can never make perfect those who come to worship by the same sacrifices that they offer continually each year. Otherwise, would not the sacrifices have ceased to be offered since the worshippers, once cleansed, would no longer have had any consciousness of sins? But in those sacrifices, there is only a yearly remembrance of sins. For it is impossible that the blood of bulls and goats take away sins. For this reason, when he came into the world, Jesus, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. Holocausts and sin offerings you took no delight in. Then I said, as is written of me in the scroll, Behold, I come to do your will, O God. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Catholic Fragments Podcast. I'm Dr. Donald Wallenfang, and it is my joy to join you once again in exploring the riches of Catholicism together. This episode features a couple of different sources converging around the mystery of the incarnation of God the Son, Jesus the Christ, Recently, I was drawn in prayer to an enigmatic passage of the letter to the Hebrews in the New Testament, specifically chapter 10, verses 1 through 7, which we heard in our opening prayer. And in these verses, this passage, it features a quote from Psalm 40, verses 7 to 9, that is placed on the lips of Jesus. Quote, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. End quote. This text really caught my attention. Thinking about the mystery of the human body, what it is to be a body, the basic question we might have as human beings, why do we have bodies? What's the purpose of having bodies? If we cannot reduce ourselves to our bodies, that we are soul and body, what is the purpose of having a body? Our bodies seem to give us a hard time a lot, don't they? (laughs) Uh, Different illnesses and injuries and just feeling tired or have a headache or a lot of different things, or we get hungry. The body is very needy. And so I'm just puzzling over this 
enigma of having a body and why God the Son takes one to himself, the human nature, body and soul, why God wanted to do this. And we get this communicated in Psalm 40, quoted by Hebrews chapter 10. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. So I want to do a bit of lexio over this text of Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 7. And I wanted to share some of my findings with you in this podcast episode, as well as bringing in some of Pope Benedict XVI's reflections on liturgy and sacrifice that he wrote before becoming Pope in 2005, but I believe this book was published both in German and English called Spirit of the Liturgy in the year 2000. He has some very profound reflections in here about the nature of the sacrifice of Jesus, the self-sacrifice of Jesus, and how that's different than animal sacrifice, for example. So let's dive in, taking a look at the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 1. Here we read that the law, Torah, Jewish law, Torah, has only a shadow, in Greek, skia, of the good things to come, and not the very image, in Greek, icon, of them. So the Torah, from a Christian understanding, has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image or icon of them. Whereas the icon is God the Son becoming human, the incarnation, Jesus, his life, death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven. We read in St. Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 1, verse 15, that Jesus is the icon of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So we see the same Greek word used in Hebrews 10.1 and Colossians 1.15. But to appreciate what's being said here by the author of this letter to the Hebrews, which may very well be St. Paul, there's some debate about this throughout the theological tradition, even until recent date. But uh, whether St. Paul wrote the letter himself or not, at least it's associated with his theological school, you could say, in the early church. But here we have the same word, icon, in Colossians and Hebrews. But to appreciate the meaning of this, we first have to appreciate Torah, Jewish law itself. The Decalogue, the Ten Commandments at the heart of this law, and how good it is. And to call this law a shadow in relation to a greater fulfillment in the form of the icon, the incarnation, helps us realize how incredible the incarnation of God is and how the incarnation of God never completely distances himself from Torah, from the Jewish law. Jesus affirms the goodness of Torah in his teaching and his life. He lives by it himself, and yet he extends it He augments it. He fulfills it. Joseph Ratzinger, in his book, Spirit of the Liturgy, Joseph Ratzinger, become Pope Benedict XVI, 
he writes about this relationship between shadow, image, and reality. Thinking about salvation history in terms of past, present, and future from a Catholic perspective, the Old Testament, the first covenant God makes with the people of Israel, we talk about this in terms of shadow because it foreshadows a greater fulfillment to come in Christ. It's a shadow, not in terms of lacking something, but pointing to something. And Jesus fulfills this as image, as icon. And this is the time in salvation history in which we are living, those of us here on earth in the in-between, in between the already and the not yet. And the full reality will be revealed, the consummating reality in the life to come, in eternal life, at the resurrection of the dead. So we have this relationship between shadow, image, and reality. And thinking again about Jewish Torah, law, instruction, teaching, way, we see God through the prophet Jeremiah saying, chapter 31, the book of the prophet Jeremiah, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will conclude a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their fathers, the day I took them by the hand to lead them forth from the land of Egypt. For they did not stand by my covenant, and I ignored them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant I will establish with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds, and I will write them upon their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his fellow citizen and kinsman, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from least to greatest. For I will forgive their evil doing and remember their sins no more. So this remarkable passage that God's saying, I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them upon their hearts. How does God do this? Through Jesus and his church. Through the sacraments of the church. God imprints his law in our hearts, in the interior castle of our souls. This is the perfect offering. This is the perfect Sacrifice, that which Jesus gives of himself, opens wide the gates of the sacraments to sanctify us, to perfect us. We read further in the letter to the Hebrews, which we just quoted from chapter 8, that was quoting Jeremiah, the prophet. But back to chapter 10, verse 1, we read further that the law can never make perfect, teleosai in Greek, make perfect, made complete, those who come to worship by the same sacrifices that they offer continually each year, namely the animal sacrifices in particular, as well as the various sacrifices of harvest, but these sacrifices cannot make perfect those who come to worship by the sacrifices. And then in verse 4 we read, 
it is impossible that the blood of bulls and goats take away sins. This way of atonement, a word in English that comes from the literal three words at one meant, you could say, making one, reconciling. We read from Ratzinger's book, Spirit of the Liturgy, him reflecting about, about this. This human aim at worship, the attributes of worship that tend to be marked concretely and universally around the world by an awareness of man's fall and estrangement from God and alienation from each other through our sins. Of necessity, he says, this takes place as a struggle for atonement, forgiveness, reconciliation. The awareness of guilt weighs down on mankind. Worship is the attempt to be found at every stage of history to overcome guilt and bring back the world and one's own life into right order. And yet an immense feeling of futility pervades everything. This is the tragic face of human history, he says. How can man again connect the world with God? How is he supposed to make valid atonement? The only real gift man should give to God is himself. It's a great point that he makes here. The only real gift I can give God, the best gift I can give God, is myself, body and soul. As his religious awareness becomes more highly developed, so his awareness that any gift but himself is too little, in fact absurd, becomes more intense. Historically, this sense of inadequacy has been the source of grotesque and horrific forms of cult. The most extreme example is human sacrifice. Superficially, it seems to give the deity what is best. And yet, more deeply, it has to be seen as the most horrific evasion of the gift of self. The most horrific and therefore the most to be rejected. Thus... As religion becomes more highly developed, this terrible attempt at atonement is more and more discarded, but it also becomes clearer that in all worship, it is not the real gift, but a mere replacement that is given. And the German original here, uh, Ratzinger calls replacement sacrifice ersatz, replacement or kind of substitute sacrifice. But dodging responsibility, in a sense, passing the buck, we say in English, or scapegoating my own personal responsibility to sacrifice myself and putting it on another, putting it on someone weaker, someone marginalized, someone defenseless. And we can think about our respective cultures, those of us who are reflecting on this together. Where do we see this happening in culture? Where are innocent victims being sacrificed out of a lack of responsibility for the, uh, on the part of the one doing the sacrificing? So we can think about this for ourselves, how it happens in our own lives and those of other people. But instead, the good news is that 
Jesus Christ offers himself and shows us the model of sacrifice that his disciples are also to perform to sacrifice ourselves instead of scapegoating responsibility on someone else, saying, let me be the sacrificial offering under the form of the Messiah, who is Jesus, the Christ, the Christos, the Anointed One, the one who instead of pointing a finger away from himself, opens his hands and feet to be nailed to a cross of wood for our salvation. In this sacrifice, Ratzinger calls not erzatz, a replacement, but that of representation, vertretung in German, vertretung, this kind of sacrifice, a vicarious sacrifice in which I offer myself on behalf of the other. I don't make the other offer him or herself on behalf of me, but I in Christo form, offer myself. This is what we see the letter to the Hebrews reflecting about. As Ratzinger says, further, this representative sacrifice established by divine command, the true Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, who comes from God, and is for that very reason not a replacement, but a true representative both of God and of man, in whom we ourselves are taken to God. So the Christian theology of worship, beginning with St. John the Baptist, sees in Christ the Lamb given by God in what's called the Akidah narrative of Abraham and not sacrificing his son Isaac, but sacrificing a Lamb that God provides. So this is a great truth about that narrative, the Akidah, the binding of Isaac, that the climax of the story happens in the return to the ethical that Abraham does not imitate the godless nations who sacrifice their own children, who murder their own children as sacrifice to placate the gods. But Abraham comes back and says, far be it from me to do something which God already has commanded to be unlawful and evil child sacrifice. So the, the, the apex of the narrative comes when the messenger of Adonai Hashem, the Lord, says, stay your hand, Abraham, do not sacrifice your son, but here sacrifice this lamb, this animal. And so we have a fulfillment of this narrative in God sacrificing himself. God the Son standing in the gap, paying the debt that we never could pay. So returning to the letter to the Hebrews chapter 10, quoting Psalm 40, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. We, we find this movement from evasive scapegoating to ethical responsibility. Recently I heard an exorcist in the church talk about um, an experience he had in delivering a man possessed by a demon in a church. And uh, through the course of the deliverance prayer, the man faced the tabernacle and roared at the tabernacle and shouted, I prefer human sacrifice. So amazing. 
this combat between good and evil that we face every day as followers of Christ, a combat that St. Paul talks about at the end of his letter to the Ephesians chapter 6. Our battle not with flesh and blood, but with the principalities and the powers of darkness in the high places. So this is all very apropos for our life of discipleship here. Trying to understand the goodness of God taking a body to himself, body and soul. Uniting this human nature to the divine nature for our sake, for our salvation. But I have one more thing to share that I found very interesting. Psalm 40 as I, I continue to contemplate the meaning of body you prepared for me. I was kind of shocked because when I went to the original Hebrew text, I did not find the word body in Hebrew. But instead, I found the word for ears. And so I wondered how all this works together. Uh, In the Greek of the letter to the Hebrews, we read soma, De katertiso moi. A body you have prepared for me. Katertiso is a verb. Also, we could translate as mend, restore, set right, make complete, perfect, prepare, supply, or train. In all of these meanings, we should take into account in interpreting the biblical text. Because here we find all the layers of meaning. So a body you have mended for me. You have set right, made complete. You have prepared, supplied, all these things. We can think about the body of Jesus through the incarnation to the resurrection. A body mended, wounded, yet mended, resurrected. But I was puzzling over why... In my English translation of the letter to the Hebrews, do I read a body you have prepared for me when the Hebrew is talking about the ears? And I found in the uh, Greek version, the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures called the Septuagint, that there's a couple of versions going on, the extant manuscripts of the Septuagint. One Uh, looking at even St. Jerome's Latin translation of the Psalms, his second translation of the Psalms, from the Greek Septuagint, he has aures autem perfectisti mihi. Ears you have perfected for me. And, but then the Greek, I go to the Greek Septuagint, critical edition, and I see two, two versions here going on. I see otia de catariso moi. Ears you have prepared for me, or mended for me, perfected for me. But also soma de catertiso moi. A body you have prepared for me, mended for me. And looking at the extant manuscripts in the Gallican Psalter, going back to St. Jerome's second Latin translation of the Psalms, uh, preserved in the Gallican Psalter, 9th century, circulated around Gaul, uh, France. So 
why it's called Gallican Psalter. It has ears. But then in the Sinai codices, in the Alexandrian and Vatican codices, from the 4th to 5th century AD, now housed in Roman London, these extant manuscripts, it reads Soma de Catartisomoi. So what to do in scholarship when we see these kind of discrepancies? We praise God for them because what we see through this art of translation, biblical exegesis, is a harmony of meanings coming into view and coming into the ear. So this harmonious symphonic synthesis of meanings, both ears and body, God has prepared for the Son in his incarnation. In the Jewish Tanakh translation, we read, Sacrifice and offering you do not want, you opened my ears. Again from the Hebrew, Asnagim Karit, you opened my ears. Literally, you have dug out my ears. So as I'm reading this, I'm just trying to connect the dots of meaning across all these various translations and then interpret all this together. I hear the Shema prayer of the Jewish people. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Shema Israel, Adonai Elohinu, Adonai Echad. I hear that being said here. I, I hear Jesus healing the deaf person when he says in Aramaic, Ephatha, be opened, your ears be opened. So for God to open our ears to his word, to open our ears to hear his voice, to know his will, because that's how this text ends from Psalm 40. Behold, I come to do your will, O God. To do the will of God, we have to hear what it is. How do we know if we don't listen to him to know what his will is? So this is the primary meaning of the text. And God the Son is perfectly obedient to God the Father in his life. And God the Son opens our ears to be obedient to God the Father, to live in this Shema of God the Son, of the Word become flesh. But a body you have prepared for me, a soma in Greek, this also is part of the inspired meaning of the text, divinely inspired. That Jesus offers himself through his body for the salvation of the world. St. Augustine, in his work on the Trinity, De Trinitate, book 4, chapter 19, writes this. Now there are four things to be considered in every sacrifice. Whom it is offered to, whom it is offered by, what it is that is offered, and whom it is offered for. And this one true mediator, Jesus Christ, in reconciling us to God by his sacrifice of peace, would remain one with him to whom he offered it, that is, he's truly God, and make one in himself those for whom he offered it, because he's truly man, and be himself who offered it one and the same as what he offered. Classic St. Augustine. How poetic, brilliantly put, Jesus is the sacrifice. Again, connecting to Ratzinger, 
not a replacement sacrifice, but representative sacrifice on behalf of the world. And Jesus makes this clear in his Eucharistic offering. This is my body given up for you. This is my blood shed for you. Finally, we read in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, He himself bore our sins in his body upon the cross, so that free from sin we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Mm. All these meanings gathered up. In this podcast, we're all about gathering up the fragments of faith. This is what we do in Catholicism. This is how we read a biblical text in a scholarly way. I feel um, privileged to get to do this and serve the church in a small way and, and sharing some of this through this podcast with you. I hope you find it a benefit. Overall, one of my biggest takeaways from all this, when I find myself perplexed at having a body, at being in part a body, I wonder what's the purpose of this body. And it's clear from the example of Christ, my Lord and Savior, which is illuminated by this biblical text, all these together, that the purpose of the body is to become Eucharist like him. As St. Albert the Great says that the greatest love desires to give itself as food for the beloved. We see this in motherhood, a mother giving of her very own body to nourish the child in her womb or after born from the colostrum of the breast milk. It's so beautiful. It's so wonderful. We see a great ancient Christian symbol of the pelican plucking herself to feed her starving young with her own blood. And so we're called to this too with our feel, our feeble, frail bodies that these can become Eucharist for the other and great love and responsibility for the other through fatherhood, through motherhood. By tending the poor, the lame, the outcast, the little ones, the elderly, the infirm, everything, everyone in need. Our bodies are there to mediate this intentionality of love. So in listening to and pondering on the inspired words of sacred scripture, may we come to delight in our bodies as good and not forget we read in the book of Genesis chapter 1 that God looked at what he had made, especially after creating the human beings, body and soul, and he found them to be, in Hebrew, tov mehod, very good. May we not forget this. And also understand our bodies as vessels of disinterested self-donating love. Just like the Word made flesh, Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world as a representative sacrifice for the many, may we too offer ourselves through our bodies as a Eucharistic existence characterized by sacrificial servanthood, one for the other. Thank you for joining me on the Catholic Fragments Podcast, where you are equipped to think toward the whole, to pray from the heart, and to live as a witness 